0: Well, good morning. Welcome back. I know that uh, we've about we're about the middle of the semester, so I realize that a lot of us are maybe getting a little tired. I'm just just for my own personal survey, the Jacob Smith survey. How many people had a like at least three tests in this past week? Like at least three. Okay, that's not at least two. Is that more? Okay, a little bit more. Okay, that's good. So maybe midterms are a little bit past. What this upcoming week? Anyone with like. Three plus tests this next week. Okay. I hope no one raised their hand twice because then your life is just terrible. Uh, but uh I uh one more one more survey question, Okay, of this little bit of departure. How many people in here right now are currently engaged? Engaged to be wed. Okay, good job. To each other? No? Probably yeah, okay. That's fine, huh? That would have been awesome, though, right? And hopefully, you know, that doesn't... Hopefully that question didn't stir any, like, pangs of frustration in anyone's hearts looking at your significant other. But, uh... I'm just curious, i curious how many of us are kind of in that engagement kind of world and realm, uh, because the truth is, is that the vast majority of us are going to be there. Whether we're there right now or not, many of us are going to get engaged, right? That's kind of how our culture works. Most of us are going to wind up getting married. In order for that to happen, most of us, we wind up getting engaged. And let me just warn you right now, that as you get engaged, uh, one of the very first things that comes to people's minds as they're preparing for the engagement is the ring, right? Like, what am I going to do about the ring? This is mainly for the guy side, just FYI, in case you don't know how it works. But generally, the guy is the one who's buying this, you know, diamond ring or, you know, some sort of jewel inside of a ring to give to his beloved that would signify that they will one day be married. And so there's this big quest, though, that girls, I'm sad, often miss out on. But the guys are on this quest where they have to find this ring. And it always starts off with you have, like, a few friends who maybe have gotten engaged before, or maybe they... Haven't, uh, but they, there's always a friend that has a guy. Okay, what I mean by that is there's always someone that's going to talk to you. that's like, hey, I totally know this guy. Totally gets you a great deal on that diamond, right, or on that ring. And it's like always something kind of weird. Like he lives, you know, on the mountain, and you have to pay him with like squirrel bones and sand dollars. But he's tol- like he's totally legit, though. You know, like don't worry about it. You just come. I got this guy, right? His diamond. Bill, or, you know, like, I don't know, like, they have these weird names, and that someone always has a guy that they're going to approach you and be like, hey, I, I got this guy, and you're like, okay, and so I had a friend named Robert, who I've mentioned before, uh, Robbie had a guy, okay, and Robbie told me we were both getting engaged right around the same time, so we were both on our quest for the ring, and so we both decided, all right, we're going to go to Robbie's guy, right, in Mordor, right, but no, we had... <laughs> But he had this guy in Dallas, okay, a guy named Mickey, all right, and so what we did is we packed up our stuff, we went up to Dallas, we said, all right, we're going to go see Mickey about a diamond, all right, and so we go up to Dallas, we start off going into a different guy's shop, uh, like a legit jewelry store, you know, there's like workers and light and like <laughs> counters, okay, this is important for the next place that we go to, all right, but first place, very normal, what you would expect looking at jewelry. Uh, Then we decide, okay, let's go see Mickey, though. Let's see what kind of deal he can cut us. And so we go to this office building somewhere in Dallas, and we just go up to a random floor and go into a random room that does not at all look like a jewelry store. And there's two people. There's like this one lady just kind of sitting out front, kind of like looking at us. I think maybe she said, hey. But then Mickey comes out He's a kind of normal-looking guy, and he comes out and he grabs us and says, Hey, come on, I'm going to show you guys the rings, right? And we're kind of looking around for display cases, and we don't really see any. We're like, well, what are you going to show us, Mickey? He's like, no, 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 back in my office. So he brings us back to his office, and he he sits down at his desk, and he just has this giant, uh, like, it looks like a gun safe behind his desk, right? But he opens up this, like, giant, like, straight-out-of-a-Batman movie, like, big crank dial safe, and in it he has just all these diamonds just, like, scattered throughout this giant safe thing. And so he's talking to us about like, oh, you know, I've got all these diamonds and all that stuff. I'm going to cut you a deal. And we're like, okay. And so we're like looking at them with like the little penguin thing and like inspecting the diamonds because at this point we've done our research. We know the four C's of diamonds. We're looking at cut and clarity and color and all that stuff. And so while we're looking at it, he tells us, all right, well here's the thing. So normally diamonds are certified but these diamonds are not. In other words, we were dealing with black market diamonds in Mickey's office. And so we're sitting there, and we're like, okay. He's like, but the thing is, man, the government, like, it just tries to, like, take money. Like, it's all these regulations, all this, like, red tape and stuff. So what I do is I just skip over that whole process. <laughs> I don't know how. I'm assuming people swallowing balloons or something. I don't know, but... So we we'll skip over that whole process, and now I can bring them straight to you guys. It's like a direct sale, and so I can, you know, cut off all these prices. Blah, blah, blah. We're like, all right, and so sure enough, we got these diamonds uh, that are totally not legal, uh, but it's on my wife's finger, and we <laughs> bought them because we're like, wow, it's like such a great deal, and so we bought these diamonds, we're like, oh, it's so exciting, and he shipped them to us, and they came to our houses, and we're like, oh, and we got them, and it was so great, and we put them on a ring, and. Gave them to our fiancés, and over that whole process, man, it's so terrifying because you've spent all this money on this one little thing, right? So you have it, and it's like you, you get it in your house, and you're just worried, you're anxious all the time. You feel like you have this like child or something, like a legal child like in your pocket, and you eventually they'll give it to your fiancé, right? Eventually, we had this moment where Susan and I went on a picnic, and we're sitting there, and I I give her this ring, and And it's so painful because you've done all these things. You've gone on this quest. You've spent this money on this ring. And so you give it to her, and you're like, be be careful with it. You know, like it feels (laughs) feels like you're losing a part of yourself. And Just put it on your finger, I guess. That's cool. And so it winds up there. And when we do this, and we go through this whole process, and she still wears it, and it's great, uh, and we haven't been arrested, so that's a plus. But we go through this whole process, and we go through all of these ridiculous situations and spend all this money. Why? why do we do that? Why is that our cultural norm? For us to go through all of these pieces and go, jump through all these different hoops, spend all this money, maybe deal in the black market up in Dallas, and you wind up with this ring. Why? It's because ultimately, as we're doing these things, what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to recognize the worth of our fiance. We're wanting to recognize the worth of our relationship, of our spouse. We want to give our future wife, something amazing and special and beautiful for her to wear that would signify, look, I value you. I'm going to sacrifice of myself so that I can give you, so I can provide for you, so I can, so I can love you in this way. We want to show to the world around us, look, we love our wives. Like, I love this woman. I want you to realize that. So look at the on her finger, right? Like, that's, that's the goal. I want to recognize the worth of this relationship, the worth of this woman, and the truth is that all of us, whether or not we're engaged, we are actively doing this. We're actively assigning worth to things with the way that we spend our money, with the way that we use our wealth. We constantly use our wealth to display the worth, whether it's, it's our home that we live in, whether it's the school that we go to, whether it's the entertainment that we consume, whether it's the way that we spend our time. We are constantly engaged in recognizing the worth of certain things or, or elements in our lives by giving it our wealth, by just throwing money at it. One of my favorite things that people spend money on is pets, all right? My wife and I got a dog a couple of years ago, and so my eyes have been opened to this whole new realm. And I've discovered that people are basically, go, they go nuts for their dogs. Like They love their dogs so much, in fact, they think their dogs are so worthy that they will create or specifically buy this modern doghouse for $5,000. $5,000 for this doghouse, right? It's pretty cool, right? And that one dog looks kind of happy, I guess, or bored, I don't know. Dogs don't, they don't really talk to me in that way yet, right? But there's this $5,000 doghouse. Or maybe people love their dogs so, so much that they think, no, my dog needs a Mexican hacienda, like I need to go this like themed house and I'm going to go ahead and spend $10,000 on this doghouse because by God, Javier needs to stay in a house that is true to his roots, right? Like he needs this place. So I'm going to give him this hacienda. It's beautiful. Or maybe you decide, no, I'm not going to, I'm not that kind of owner. I'm not going to make my dog sleep outside. That's, that's for animals, right? My dog is different. He's family. I want to sleep inside. But where? Where will my dog sleep inside of my house? Maybe on this bed, this Eiffel Tower bed that costs $24,000. Maybe that's what you decide is worthy of your wealth. Because these people decide, you know what? I love my dog so much. I love these things so much that I'm going to use my wealth to recognize To recognize the worth of this thing or this item. We do this all the time. I looked up these awesome statistics of kind of how Americans are spending their money these days. Like kind of where where are we spending? And this is from a year ago. But I discovered that we, in fact, spend, this is awesome, $310 million annually. So this across the whole nation. $310 million every year on pet costumes. Pet costumes. (laughs) $310 million. Amazing. We spend $800 million every single year on Girl Scout cookies. (laughs) Worth it, right? Like, I'm not complaining about that one. (laughs) But $800 million. We spend $11 billion annually on coffee. Going and buying coffee from Starbucks or, like, buying the beans. $11 billion. We spend $65 billion every year on soda. $65 billion annually goes towards soft drinks, soda. We spend $96 billion every year on beer. We spend $25 billion every year on watching professional sports. We spend $18 billion every single year on credit card debt, like on late fees, where people decide, you know what, I want these things so much. In fact, I find them so worthy that I'm going to go into debt. I'm going to spend money that I don't have because I think that this item is so, so important. A couple weeks ago, I pointed out that we spend $14 billion, $14 billion every single year on porn in America, $14 billion, because people say, you know what, that's, that's worth my wealth, that's worthy of my money. We spend $30 billion every single year on divorces, just on litigation fees, $30 billion, because our culture says, you know what, my happiness is so important. My desire to not be with this person is so strong. This divorce is so crucial and so worthy that we're gonna spend $30 billion every year making it happen. Because when we look at our world, we realize that we find things, we decide that things are worthy of our wealth that are not. We find terrible things to throw our wealth at. We use our wealth to display the worth of things that are not worthy. We see this time and time again, maybe in your own family, maybe in your own friends, where we are consistently using our wealth in wrong ways, where we are valuing the wrong stuff. And I can say that with 100% certainty because the Bible is so clear on what is worthy. The Bible is so clear in what is worthy of my time, of my energy, of my wealth? What should I be recognizing with my money? Jesus was clear. Matthew 22, someone comes to him and says, and one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test Jesus. And he said, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And Christ said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He goes on to say, this is what all the law, all the prophets, in other words, everything that you've ever been taught, anything that you've ever been told to do, anything that you've heard in a church or a synagogue from your parents, all of it depends on these things, on God and on people. Christ is clear. This is what is ultimately worthy. God and people we look out at the way we use our wealth, what we signify as being worthy, and it is not God, and it is not people. Because we forget that Christ believed this so strongly, that God holds to this truth so firmly, that Christ came and he died for people to glorify God. Christ said, "You know what? these things are so worthy. God is so worthy. People are so worthy. I'm going to lay my life out for them. I'm going to come to the earth. I'm going to live as a man. I'm going to de- deny myself certain abilities and privileges so that I can live as they live, so that I can be here, so that I can live the perfect life, so that I can fulfill all of the law, all of the covenants. And at the end of that fulfillment, I'm going to die. I'm going to die so that they can live. Christ decided they are so worthy. I'm going to rise again, showing my power, showing my victory. I'm going to go up to heaven and prepare a place for those who would place their faith in me. That's how worthy God and people are. And yet, where do we show what is worthy in our lives? How do we spend our wealth? It's another stuff. This whole semester, we're talking about culture. We're talking about kind of how do we engage with the world around us. The one ultimate truth that I'm trying to keep coming back to is the fact that we are called to react to our culture with three big pieces. I say this every week, so hopefully you know it. We are called to enter into this world with God's grace, with God's word, with God's people. Or in other words, the name of our church, God's grace, his Bible, and his church. So as we are doing this, as we're engaging with our culture in that way, with those pieces, it should change the way that we spend our money. It should change the way that we look at our wealth. It should change what we decide is worthy of our time and of our money, of our resources. Those things should be different from the world around us, from the culture at large. Because we have a different goal, right? When we see the world around us, we don't see these things or these opportunities or these lifestyles. Instead, when we look out, we should be seeing God and we should see his people. And we should decide, how am I going to glorify those things? How am I going to use my wealth to prove that they are worthy? Rather than glorifying myself or my stuff, how do I glorify God with my money? How do I do this? Because the truth is we are constantly buying into the lie that there are these other pieces that are so much more worthy. Why? Why? Why are we buying into this lie over and over again? Why do we spend so much time, so much energy worrying about our money, about our finances? Why do we spend so much time thinking about financial security? Why do we do this? I think Paul is very clear in 1 Timothy where he knows that money has always had the exact same kind of trap. It's always been sort of the same process for people from day one until now. There's always this one trap that we constantly fall into that he identifies for Timothy. He says there's always a desire, there's always a deception, and then there's always destruction. There's a desire, there's a deception, and then there's always destruction. Anytime that we make money our focus, anytime we make wealth our ultimate goal. That's why in verse 9 and 10 he said, "But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Paul is saying, look, it starts off with this one central desire that everyone wants money. Everyone wants wealth. Across the board, I can say that. I'll say that every day, all day, 24-7. Because I know it is true of all people. You don't have to look any further than just the way that we gamble. Our gambling statistics in America are hilarious. We spend $60 billion, $60 billion every single year on lottery tickets. $60 billion on that. Well, not only that, we spend $125 billion, over double lottery, $125 billion every year in casinos. Where people are just trying. Oh, gosh, they want that wealth, right? They want that thrill. And I understand some people are like, no, poker's a sport. And I'm like, okay, whatever. But... Wear sunglasses and sit at a table. If you can drink while you play your sport, that doesn't, it's not a sport, all right? But (laughs) people, I understand there's like a thrill, there's an entertainment aspect. That's fine. I'm not condemning all gambling. But should we be spending $125 billion every year on it? Is your motivation really just to have fun or do you kind of want to make a lot of money in the process? Are we focused on that wealth? You don't have to look any further than our TV. You don't have to look any further than the competitions that we air on uh, network television. One of my favorites is a show called Wipeout, okay? <laughs> Wipeout, if you haven't seen it, is so great because it has led to this image right here. And there's nothing, this is my favorite thing ever, this image right here, because you see This woman who decided, I'm going to go on Wipeout, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to go through this obstacle course, and I'm going to do all these things and perform these different tasks, because by golly, I want to make some money, right? That's the goal. You want to win these prizes. You want to have this wealth, and so she's covered in mud. She jumped off of this big thing, and she's just face plant. It's just, what a perfect image of just our world, just a face plant into a big rubber ball. That's like, that's how I think of our world right now, is that's what we do. Man, because you want that money so bad, people are willing to humiliate themselves. People need money so desperately that it has led to this moment in time where we had Bill Nye, the science guy. He went on dancing with the stars. Come on. Like, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Bill Nye, science guy was great. He partially raised me, all right? He was coming. He would come on PBS 4.30 every afternoon, and I would watch him, and he like, Bill, and he would like tell me these things about like how light bulbs work and gravity, and I'm like, what? And so he though, and he's like a legit scientist. Like he goes out and he like writes papers and speaks at stuff, and it's, he's awesome. And he decided, you know what though? I just, I'm going to go on Dancing with the Stars, and there's, you cannot convince me that he was motivated by anything other than money. Like, there's no way that he was like, you know, I just, I love to dance. I love high physics and dancing. Like, that's not, that's not his, like, realm. Like, that's not his wheelhouse. That's why he got eliminated, right? Now, because he went on this show and because he wanted this money, we don't have to look any further to realize that we all have this desire there's something deep within us where we desire wealth. And I think that it's motivated, it's fueled by either one of two things. It's always fueled by either comfort or power. Right? That's really the root of that desire is that we want either comfort or we want power. When I say comfort, I mean that all of us, I mean we put a lot of worth on our personal just comfort because we feel like we deserve to be happy or comfortable. Right? Like I studied really hard or I worked really hard on that thing. I need to just... I deserve some time to just, like, relax, be comfortable, and be happy. Right now, is relaxation and rest good? Definitely. But do we put a lot, lot, lot of worth into it? Do we value it above other things, maybe to our own detriment? Possibly. Are you so focused on comfort that you're pl- placing it above people above God? Are you lifting it up? Are you throwing your wealth at this comfort? I remember one of my just like standout moments of comfortability as I was watching Cribs, okay, like back in high school. MTV Cribs, if you don't know, they like go to people's houses and you just like look at it. Really boring, right? But I was watching it. And I was watching Cribs and they're at this one guy's house. He's like a record producer or something. And they go into his closet and he's got like all these shoes and clothes and you know, he's rich. And he's got though this drawer that's full of socks, right? And I was like, there's got to be a story here. And sure enough, there was. Because the camera guys were like, dude, what's with all the socks? And this one dude, he's like, you know what? He's like, my thing is, I really love socks the first time you wear them. But after that, they're not as comfy. So I just throw them away. So he bought all of these socks to wear once, and then he throws them away. He wears socks one time. Not even like two, he's not like, you know, it's like a, for a week. No, he throws them out after one time of wearing them. And I was like, wow, I want to be you, right? Like, <laughs> at the time, I thought, that's amazing, right? But in, what an ultimate example of just our obsession with being comfortable, of our obsession of wanting to be just happy. And I would just challenge you, ask you, how much are you spending on comfort? How much are you spending on those things that make you comfortable? Whether it's that restaurant that you want to go to with your friends, is that fun activity going out of town to that thing or going skiing over spring break? Like, what? How much are you spending on this comfort? How much are you spending on that technology, that one thing that you just need it? How much are you spending in that realm? How much of your desire for money is fueled? by this desire for comfort. Or maybe it's power, right? We place incredible worth on our personal power of, of choice, right? America, America, we love freedom, right? We love it. By golly, the red, white, and blue and the star-spangled freedom banner, right? Like, that's what we're all about. And we carry that into all aspects of our life and it always requires money. I don't know if you realize this, but freedom always requires money. Freedom and free, right? That's, that's what Toby Keith will tell us, I think. I don't know him country, but... Freedom requires money, requires wealth. And so when we want to buy this power for ourselves, it has created this amazing just realm. It's created this amazing phenomenon within America, this idea that the customer is always right, right? It's created this amazing, just nowhere else in the world is it like this, okay? This is America only because we value power. We value individual personal choice and freedom so much that the customer is always right. And if you've ever worked in a service-related industry, waiting tables, working in a print lab on campus maybe your freshman and sophomore year of college, it is, they are not always right. You know for a fact that customers are not always right. But we have this sense of entitlement because we use our wealth in that way. We say, no, 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 I'm going to spend this money. I'm going to create these things. I'm going I'm to give this worth to my own power, and therefore you must respect me. It's led to what I think is one of actually more favorite of mine than that image of wipeout is the single-topic Tumblr called Old People on Facebook, all right? This is why it's amazing. This one guy collected all of these, he just scans corporate Facebook pages, okay? So like restaurant chains or like Walmart, like just these different corporations. He looks at their Facebook pages and just picks the best examples of people interacting with companies on Facebook, such as Gloria, who decided that she needed to tell Lone Star Steakhouse It's always too hard to print the coupons in the email, right? Okay, maybe that's a legitimate concern. But then we have Muriel, who tells Olive Garden, we have an Olive Garden here in Port Charlotte, Florida. We still love going there. Sometimes the kids get us a gift card there. We love it. It's like being home in Chattanooga, Muriel, right? (laughs) Amazing, amazing, I also love the fact that Olive Garden liked it. They were like, yes, more power to you, Muriel. This mentality, this obsession with power has led to Nikki, who told Long John Silvers, please bring back Long John Silvers to Sterling Heights and Warren, Michigan area, please, from all the people. All of them. She is speaking on their behalf to bring back Long John Silvers, or sorry, being back long, Lone John Silvers Goodness gracious. It has led us to the moment in time where we have John Morris tell Red Lobster, vert difficult to print coup co- co- pound, too hard almost as myself. Do I really want to eat at this place? <laughs> in Denton, of all places, in Denton, all right? <laughs> And I love this so much. I could read these all day because it is such a clear picture of our current culture telling us that you are so important. You are always right. You have spent your wealth in this one area to make sure that you are worthy of choice, that you have power. You deserve this, John. You have the right to be heard because that's how we decide to spend our wealth. That's what we decide is worthy is the fact that I want to say things, I want to have things, I want to always be right. I want to purchase this power for myself. And I would ask you, how much of your wealth are you spending on power, on choice? How many of your resources, what are you deciding is worthy? Are you spending it to have a brand name in whatever, you know, clothes or technology or whatever? Are you so focused that you want to make sure that you have your choice, that you get this certain type or this certain brand? Are you so certain on your own power, so deciding that you are worthy of your own choice in the realm of education? The school that you're going to, the grad school that you're considering going to, the places that you want to go, that you want your parents to support you at. What are you really motivated by? How much are you going to be spending based entirely on your own desire for freedom and choice? The truth is, we do this all the time. And as we have this desire, it always leads us into one of two deceptions. We see Paul telling us, look, when you have this desire, you fall into a snare. This love of money leads you to be wandering away. You wander away you fall into this trap there's a deception that is created by the love of money either you are it is either the deception of temporary satisfaction or of a lasting need what i mean by that is money always tries to convince us that there is some sort of comfort or power that is within our grasp and it is for a moment before it's gone we go into these Areas and we, we have these great things, we amass them to ourselves, we have this wealth, and we spend it on what we think is worthy, and we have it, and we have everything that we ever desired until the next day, till the next week, till the next year, when it's over. One of my best friends is a professionally trained chef uh, who is just crazy about food and all that stuff. He works up in New York City and he's just he's nuts, he loves food, is amazing at it and Part of being his friend means that I have gotten to share in incredible meals, just eating awesome food that he will prepare, that I'll help him prepare, that we'll bring together. And he just, these amazing, like, multi-course, like, paired with, like, you just, like, lick gold in between. Like, I don't know, like, this crazy stuff. Like, amazing things that some people, like, eat every day, all day. these amazing meals that are so gourmet, and you spend so much money on on the materials and so much time bringing it all together and cooking it up. Presenting it on the plate, that's probably square because that's trendy, right? And you have these different things. You go through all this effort. You spend all of this wealth on this one thing that you've decided is worthy. And the sad truth is is that you're always hungry the next day. You're always hungry when you wake up the next morning. Because as amazing as these pieces are, as great as that comfort is, as just fulfilling as that power is, man, it, it doesn't last. We know this. And even though we know it, man, we still buy into this lie. So I would challenge you, how much are you spending on temporary things? How much worth have you placed on the momentary satisfactions that money can offer? I don't know what that looks like in your life, but you do. Or maybe you're not falling into this temporary satisfaction, maybe you're falling into this idea, this deception that money has a, that creates a lasting need, because a lot of times what we decide is, you know what, I just need that one job, I need to reach this certain level for my financial security so that once I reach it, I 'm good. right Like if I can just get that one that one salary level, or if I can just make that one one thing, if I can get that one job, if I can get that one internship that pays this much money, then I'm good. Then I'm fine. Then I'll be happy. I'll be content. I'm satisfied. Like, no more. But the truth is, is that every single time we think we've reached it, I mean, money, you can always want more. You always want more. I've seen this as my friends are moving into the corporate world where either they are falling into the trap or they, their friends are falling into these traps where they think, you know what? If I can just make this one amount, I'll be great. But they're never great. They're never satisfied. I thought of it. Strangely, in the sense of these two individuals, I don't know if you're aware of Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner, but they share a very t- troubled relationship, where there were these cartoons when I was growing up, where the Coyote would always decide, you know what, I want to eat that Roadrunner, and the Roadrunner would be like, meep meep, no way, and it would run away from him, <laughs> and he would try to catch it, and he would like ride rockets and like set up like trampling, I don't know, they never made sense. He'd paint things on walls, and the Roadrunner would run through it, and then he would slam into the wall is weird. But through it all, I was always so frustrated. I was the kid that would watch this and I would get so mad because I just wanted the coyote to eat the roadrunner. Like I was just so upset because I was like, that roadrunner is a jerk. Like he, look at that tongue. Like that's just, what a jerk, right? Like he looks like an idiot. And so I thought, I want that coyote to eat him. And by golly, the coyote would get so close and I'd be so excited. Like maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the one episode where the coyote finally eats the Roadrunner, and then it's just like, we all die. Ba, ba, ba. I don't know. Like, I don't know how you would end that, but he never caught him. He was always just, ah, just out of reach. And the truth is that we go into our lives and we think of money as this attainable piece, there's something that I can just get that one level, and man, we never, ever attain it. We never reach that level where we're finally content. There's always something more. There's always another level that we want to get to. And so I would challenge you to think about how much worth are you placing in this concept of financial security? How much worth are you placing in in that job that you want to get after college? In that career you want to go into? Because it's going to make this certain amount that will finally make you feel okay. Because I would challenge you, man. It's not going to solve your problems. Wealth never dissolves our worries. That is a lie. Because it always leads to destruction. Paul is clear that as we fall into the snare, as we have this desire and fall into a snare, it leads to ruin, destruction. This love of money leads people to be piercing themselves with many pangs. The end result of a love of money is always destruction, either for ourselves or for others, every time. If you allow wealth to become your number one focus, it will always lead to destruction, sometimes for others. I think this is maybe the saddest, where we create all this wealth and we decide, you know what, I want to spend it on these different things, and I've decided what is worthy, and we glance over other people, we glance over God's children in our pursuit of wealth. Last Sunday evening, I was here at the service, I wasn't teaching, I was just hanging out, and at the very end, uh, I got approached by this guy who came in, a homeless guy named Tony, And Tony was just kind of looking for someone to talk to you. And so I went outside and was talking with him. And we had this long conversation. just kinda about his life, how things were going. He had it pretty much together like he was he wasn't crazy or anything like that. He was just a guy who'd been living on the streets for like thirty years. And we just talked. About God, about Christians, about the South, about how he wanted to go to Alaska. I don't know why. But as we were talking, Tony brought up a really great point. There was a moment where he just struck me right, man, right deep, right in my soul. Where he turned me and he was talking to me and talking about how he needed some stuff for the night. And so we, we actually kept hanging out. We went and did some other stuff after our conversation. But, but as he was kind of talking to me about these needs that he had, he's like, you know... It's easy. It's easy to go in there and worship. I'm pointing at the college auditorium. It says it's so easy to go in there and worship God. But why don't you come out here and do something? Why don't you go out there and do something? Because there is a need. There are people who are hurting. There are people who are worthy of our wealth. We don't go to them because we decide that they're not worthy. How many times have you devalued people for the sake of your wealth, whether it's your roommates or or maybe the stuff that you want, you won't loan out or whatever? How often do you just glance over all of these people, all of God's created children, for your own desires, for what you think is worthy? As we're hurting people, I mean, we hurt ourselves. That many times we decide that we're going to put so much worth in money and in wealth that we've lifted wealth and the products that it can bring over God himself. And that always destroys us. We see it at the very beginning of time, the very first human failure in the Garden of Eden. We see Adam and Eve with a desire for this fruit so much so that they go to it, look at it. They see that it was it looked good. And then they were deceived. Their desire led to a deception where the serpent told them, no, you know what? It's not that bad. Like God just, he's trying to withhold from you. Like God doesn't have a better plan for you. You have the best plan. You know what's really worthy. Go for it. And so they reached out for that satisfaction for that personal power, they reached out and they grabbed that fruit. They ate of it. And it led to destruction. They were cast out of the garden. Sin came into the world. All things became fallen. Our relationship with God was shattered. Our relationship with one another was shattered. Our relationship with the world was shattered. We die. Physical death, disease, pain, all products of that desire, deception. How... Have you devalued God? Where are you deciding that he's not worthy? Whether it's maybe your future plans. Are you just deciding where you want to go, the job you want to take, the career you want to be on, because it gives you what you want? Because it gives you that comfort or that power? Or are you going there because you genuinely believe that it's where God wants you? Are you deciding that the way that you spend your money now is really the way God wants you to spend it? Are you using your wealth in ways that you believe that God would call you to spend it? Are you calling God and people worthy above all other things? Many times we're not. And I would just challenge you, let's change that today. Let's change that right now. Because the truth is that if we want to really display the worth of God and people with our wealth, we've got to start now. You can start right now by building a pattern what I mean by that is you can start right now being faithful with what you have, right? A lot of us, legitimately, we're living on budgets, man. We don't have a lot of money. I feel you. You're like, I don't, I don't have a lot of discretionary spending. Like, I'm not buying those things. I'm not spending it in those ways. That's, I understand. But you have something, right? You have something. And I would just challenge you. Be faithful with the little that you have, the small that you have. God calls us to be faithful with the little before he gives us the large. So start now. Maybe it's just giving $5 a month. It's like a coffee or like 10 burgers at McDonald's, right? Like just give $5 a month. Just something where you're creating a pattern of faithfulness in giving. And you think, well, where am I going to give it? Well, the best way uh, to think about where are you going to give these resources, how can you give, how can you use this wealth, is you look in two main areas. You look where there's a need and you look where you worship. You look where there's a need. In other words, you can look at nonprofits in the area. You can look at uh, one of my favorite ways to give, to, to show that God and his people are most worthy is to give to missionaries. It's awesome because you have a personal connection. You know the people who are out there doing God's work. Give to them. We have a mission trip coming up called the East Asia Vision Trip. Right, It's this winter. People are going to start promoting it. Like, you're encouraged to, if you want to, even like sign up or fill out an application to go on it. But even if you're not going, I would challenge you find out someone who is and then give them something. Give them $5, $10, $20 for this trip, even if you don't even know who they are right now. Ask us. We'll point you in the right direction of who can benefit from your wealth, who you can decide is worthy of the resources that God has already given you. Give where there's a need, but also give where you worship. What I mean by that is any time that we gather together in worship, whether it's a small group or this church, one of the ways that we worship that we see in Scripture is not just giving God our time and our thoughts and our heart and our hands during worship songs. We also give him our wealth. We give him $5 a month. And you can do that here at Grace. I'm not saying this because like we're in desperate need of all of you to give $20. Like That's not it. This isn't for us. I promise. This is for you. This is a challenge for you to be faithful in giving where you worship. Not just here, but the churches that you go to later. While you're here, you can use our website. It's easy to set up just a monthly giving or one-time giving. You can use our app for your phone, your tablet, your Whatever. Use these resources to give of your wealth because this is what is truly worthy of your time and money. God and his people. So I would just challenge you as we sing a few more songs, as we close in just a little bit more worship, I would challenge you, ask the Lord, where can you give? Where is the need? Who can God put on your heart? How much can you give them? How can you use this wealth to acknowledge the worth of God and his people? Because if you're using it on other things, you're headed for destruction. You've bought into a deception and you're headed for destruction. So let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for what you have given us. God, we acknowledge that all good things come from you. God, we acknowledge that we're only breathing today because of you, that, God, we're only at a and or blend because of you. God, we acknowledge that anything in our life, ultimately, we are just stewards. God, we are just temporary overseers for what you have given us. So, Lord, we pray that we would be faithful in that role. That, God, that our desire for wealth or for the promises that wealth brings us. God, we pray that those things wouldn't deceive us, that God, we wouldn't buy into those lies. God, we pray that our focus would not be on money and what it can bring into our lives. God, our focus would be you and your people, and that God, our spending would reflect that knowledge. So if you would take this moment right now, ask God, what has he given you? that you can give to him or to his people. Ask the Lord to show you where is there a need? Where can you better use your wealth to display the worth of what he says is worthy?